just find the right partner. So when I met John, he he really brings the industry contacts and the in-depth knowledge to the table. I bring some other things, finance raise or capital raising and deal acquisition and things like that to the table. Not that he didn't have those before, but um, I bring some other, especially on the, on the capital raise side, I bring some things to the table he didn't have. So for me, leaning on him, hey, John, here's an asset. What's it worth? Oh, okay. I mean, I wouldn't have known. You, I, 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 there's no book on it. So it's, um, you know, unlike, again, you know, not to, again, keep comparing to multifamily, but, you know, there's lots of things you can read about that. There really isn't a book on parking. I'm Neil. And I'm Brittany. We are a family on a journey towards financial and location independence. Each week, we interview successful real estate entrepreneurs about their chosen investment strategy and rate it based on how much money it took to get started, how long it took to educate themselves, how passive it is, and whether or not they could do it from anywhere in the world. Welcome to the Road to Family Freedom. If you like our show, the easiest way for you to give back is to leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Head on over to roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash review for links and instructions on how to do that. We would be so grateful. All right, enough out of us. Let's hit the road to family freedom. Hey guys, Neil here. Uh, Before we get to this week's show, I want to make you an offer. You can do a video chat with me. It's completely free. There's no pitch. This is not a sales pitch. I don't have any kind of a mentoring program. I'm not selling anything. This is literally just a way for me to connect with other real estate investors and being a working, a working dad with uh, a son at home, this is much easier for me to do than trying to go to a couple of real estate meetups a week. So again, if you're interested, anything you want to talk about, if you're an experienced investor, a brand new investor, we can talk about anything and everything you want to talk about with uh, real estate investing. Just go to roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash connect and uh, fill out the, the form there to schedule a call. And I look forward to speaking with you. So let's get to the show. Greetings, friends and families. I'm Neil. And I'm Brittany. You're listening to the Road to Family Freedom podcast. Our guest this week got his start buying single family homes at foreclosure auctions. He's done over 60 fix and flips and owns a dozen long-term rentals. And now he's transitioned into buying parking lots and parking garages as the founder and CEO of Parking Your Investments. Sam Wilson, welcome to the Road to Family Freedom. Hey, thanks, Brittany. Thanks, Neil, for having me. I certainly appreciate it. Good to see you again. I get to see you like once a year at the best ever conference and you know, this is a little bonus. So it's, it's, it's always a fun reunion. That's for sure. Yes, it is. So, so let's get started. Talk to us about how, what, what your journey into real estate was like at, at a, at a quick high level. Sure. At a high level in, in, in um, you know, I, I never liked the podcast where everybody's like, oh, you know, I got started in real estate and I made a ton of money and it was all success and wonderful dreams. And look at me now, I'm a billionaire in real estate. Like I just kind of just kind of grown. But in short, my first real estate experience was kind of that way. and It was completely accidental. Uh, I hadn't ever thought about real estate as a career. We had sold a business in Indiana and headed south, mainly because I hate the cold. And one day just happened to see a foreclosure auction coming up. And asked Elizabeth, my wife, hey, you mind if I go buy a house today? And she said, no, that's fine. <laughs> and a couple of hours later, I owned a house at a foreclosure auction. And um, within 90 days, we had it flipped and made a pile of money on it. And I said, man, if I can do that once, I can just keep doing it. To make it easier on your listeners, I did have a background in the trades and construction. I owned a flooring company. I'd been on job sites my whole life. 
So I knew when I walked in the house, hey, this is something we can buy and this is something we can work with. I wasn't I wasn't a complete newbie. So I, I did have that in my favor and that I knew. And actually, I think we came within like, I think almost $100 of my repair budget on the first one. I said, hey, we're going to spend X amount of dollars and it, and it came within a hundred bucks of that. And I'm like, wow, that was just, that was a good Lord blessing, I guess. So that was the start of it. And we just said, well, we, we're going to keep doing this. So we just kept buying houses at foreclosure rocks. We did that all the way until 2018. And uh, let's see, in 2018, we still did a ton of houses. I think we did the most houses ever in 2018. It was 19 houses in 2018. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in that, I was getting tired of doing single family fix and flips and rental property. I called it adult, running an adult daycare or adult babysitting when you're dealing with contractors all day. Your grandmother can only die so many times. <laughs> you know, the same guy. And it's not a joke. I think it's everybody's go-to joke, but it's really not. Like, it's a joke for a reason. And so I just, uh, I'm already bald, so I can't lose any more hair. Uh, <laughs> and I was just like, all right, we've, we've got to figure something else out here. And it was actually at the best ever conference that I ran into my partner now, John, who was doing parking lots and parking garages. And I said, man, that's, that's the place I want to go because it's hands off, it's cash flowing, it's easy to manage. There's no contractors. And, and that's where we are today is, is still, uh, still in the parking lot space. So that's the short high level version of, of how I got into real estate. Yeah. I have uh, house slipper friends of mine here in Las Vegas who say that they cannot, they cannot leave a job site for more than a day. Otherwise they come back the next day and there's like piles of, bottles of Negro Modelo everywhere. <laughs> he just can't, he's like, I can't go a day without like showing up and, and checking on them. So, so I, I, I hear, I hear your pain. Ab- absolutely. There, there, there is a lot of truths in that. And a lot of what we're doing was also across the state of Tennessee. So because of where we, where the different counties we worked in, you know, some of my job sites were four hours apart. So it, um, yeah. yeah, it was a time, time to change. Yeah. So you did about 60, correct? Mm-hmm. All told. Correct. Uh, and then you held some of them as rentals? Yeah. Some of, some of those were accidents, you know, flips that didn't go right. So again, I, I can write you a book on how to lose money in real estate, uh, <laughs> as well as how to make money in real estate. But I think that's, that's probably just part of the course. You can't win them all. But yeah, some of those we held as rentals because they were flips that we couldn't sell. And some of them we just bought it. We just knew it going into it. Hey, we're buying a rental property. So Gotcha. And I think we've, we've let loose of everything now at this point that was not intended to be a rental. So those have all come full circle, but that's, um, that's the way that worked out. Gotcha. And you still own some single family rentals? Correct. Correct. Yeah. And we, we've actually started creatively financing a lot. I still own them as rentals in theory, but we've creatively financed a lot of those out to end buyers. So they're on like 15 year notes. So I call them rentals because they are still in my name, but they're, they're long-term going to someone else because they're paying them off. Now, is it going to, is it like a lease to own for the tenant or a totally just a different owner? I'm not sure I understand the question. Well, sometimes what people will do is they'll, they'll, they'll start to basically the renter, the tenant will start to basically lease to own where they're basically paying a lease, but they're working up building equity to own the home eventually. Yes. I've got some like that, and then I've got some others that are on leases with an option to buy, and then I've got some where we've actually transferred the deed because they put so much money down. So, and then I just became the bank and actually wrote them a deed of trust, and they I now have a mortgage on the house. So we've done it several different ways depending on how much 
money they can put down up front at this point, you know, the people that can put a lot of money down, well, then I have no problem transferring owners. And I'd prefer to actually put the deeds in and certainly safer for the buyer. So I'd certainly prefer to do that. But some of them, there's just not enough money down to justify it if I have to take it back. Gotcha. Makes sense. Gotcha. So how does purchasing a, a parking asset differ from buying more traditional real estate like these single family homes? Lots. Yeah, lots of ways. Which Where do we want to start with that? You're valuing, and of course, you're always valuing real estate, especially residential real estate, on what the value of the properties around it are. So even if it's throwing off a thousand bucks a month, whatever it is, you know, let's say it's the one percent rule, you might say that's worth a hundred grand, but if the neighborhood says, well, it's only worth fifty, then it's still only worth fifty. Whereas in parking, if it's throwing off a thousand bucks a month and it, we're working off the one percent rule, which you don't normally get that high in parking because it's such a stable asset, but it would still be worth a hundred grand no matter what. So we're valuing it on the on the income approach almost exclusively versus the value of land or the value of the garage or redevelopment potential. I mean, it's it's all on the income approach. Does that make sense? It does. So it's commercial real estate assets, net operating income divided by the cap rate. You got it. Equals the value. Okay. Yep. Correct. What are the expense ratios like in parking garage? It's got to be pretty low. <laughs> it's pretty low. I mean, on a parking, like just a, just a regular surface lot. I mean, gosh, you might have a few hundred bucks a year in insurance. Really, outside of that, our operator is going to handle the rest of the expenses. So, if it's resurfacing it, that's typically written into the contract. If it's management, I mean, anything related to the operation of the assets, all on our operator. So, what we do with them is we 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 sign guaranteed leases only. So, we know up front, five to seven years out, exactly what we're going to get paid with annual increases all the way out. So, really, we don't have any. I mean, there's just no hidden expenses. Like, oh no, we've got to what it flooded i mean it's a surface lot like <laughs> yeah just very very low risk assets gotcha we're you know we're coming into this completely blind you're the first parking investor we we've come across so forgive sure. me plain catch away um, no ask away what uh, a lot of times if you're buying let's say a self storage facility you know you're you're buying it based on the net operating income it's got income expenses you know the a lot of times the expense ratio and Self-storage is about 35%. And then you can either self-manage or you can hire a, a property management company that's going to come in and, and they're going to take anywhere from 10 to uh, 8 to 10%. Right. Uh, but it's got to be, a, it's also got to be a minimum as well. You like, you're not going to have a, a 40 unit self-storage facility. that's going to have professional management on it. Just, they're not going to touch that. Is, is there something similar you know, is there a nation? How many how many parking lot management companies are there in the country? A lot, to be honest with you. I mean, a lot of your local. I mean, almost almost every town has a local somebody that is a parking operator. For us, we don't work with those guys. Uh, I hate to say it. For us, there's there's only a handful, maybe three or four national operators, and those are the people that we work with, and they work across the country. So we know them. They know us. They know how we work. It's it's pretty straightforward. So, and I think you were asking about a management fee and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I don't don't know if this is where you're going with this or not, but but for us, it's just a it's just a simple. This is exactly what we're getting paid. So there's no management fees. There's no there's no hey this lot did really well and so you know we're going to charge you that minus ten percent. It's hey this is what you're getting paid, and and that's that's the end of it. 
So if it if the lot doesn't make a lot of money, you could be operating at a loss. But if it may, if it's making a ton of money, you're not having to pay them out extra money. Well, if it's operating at a loss, I don't care about that either. I mean, I do care because I want the operator to make money and keep you know renew the leases eventually. They're but we're gonna from you. When, I'm sorry. Sorry, they're renting it from you at a fixed rate. Correct. It's exactly right. Okay, so no, I get it now. Okay, so you're not necessarily getting you're not getting the direct cash flow from the, all the parking. They are. They are. And you're and you're renting the the lot to them, or they're they're renting it from you. We're just we're just landlords. That's right. We're landlords with with a fixed payment every month Got with annual, a, annual increases. That's exactly it. So it's closer to a almost like a mobile home park model where you've got someone, you know, they're paying a lot rent, right? To to run their business on top of your land. Correct. It's exactly right. Okay. It's exactly right. What kind of businesses are renting these? Well, I mean, your, your operators are the ones that take that 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 sign the leases with us. So, I mean, really, I think what you're asking is is what are the demand generators around the parking? Mm-hmm. Is that is that right? Like, why are people parking there? Yes. <laughs> okay. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, you've got a variety anywhere you're in a central business district is where people are paying for parking. So, I mean, you go to any major town, Dallas, Fort Worth, Houston, I mean, places like that, and there's always paid parking, Indianapolis, Memphis. I mean, there's paid parking in almost any major city. And so what are those, what does that parking serve? Bar and weekend traffic, courthouse, night or uh, ball game traffic or sports arenas or whatever the demand is, but it's typically in the dense, more dense central business districts that you're going to find paid parking. Okay. That makes sense. All right. So the way, just so our audience understands, and so I understand the way you're making money is you're buying a lot and then you're renting it to a parking operator. Correct. Uh, And then you're able to, you've got it in the contract that you can raise rents every once a year or whatever Mm -hmm. is in the contract. Mm -hmm. Okay. Correct. Um, Correct. And you are now when you acquire them, how are you, how are you financing them? Are you having to, this land. So are you having to come in with, with a hundred percent cash? Are you able to do any financing? Oh no, they're very financeable for the banks that understand it. And we've got some, some actually smaller banks that, that are, uh, very easy to work with that know us that understand how this, how parking works. And they also understand the land plays on a lot of these. I mean, if you're buying surface lots, it's as much a covered land play as it is an income generating uh, business. So they understand that. So no, they'll underwrite, they'll underwrite our leases because our leases, again, they're, they're, these are and not that the stock, not that stock market this week is anyone great to brag about, but, but several of these operators are traded on the NASDAQ. So, I mean, they're not, they're not small guys. Okay. These are people that if they write a lease and they say, "Hey, look, we're going to pay you 150 grand a year to operate this lot," they're going to pay us 150 grand a year to operate that lot. And they're going to go out of business. So it's it's kind of it's as it's as safe as we can get. So yeah, we have banks that underwrite that for sure. Gotcha. And of course, hopefully, you're hopefully if you're doing your job right, you're buying in such a way that your your expenses, which are what just the financing. Is that pretty much your only expense? It's funny when I I've, I've got a pretty lengthy spreadsheet that I work through, and every time I look at it, I'm like, "Gosh, I feel like there should be more in the expense category." <laughs> so, so, so as we're as we're um, yeah as we're underwriting this stuff, you're right. You're looking at okay, some basic bookkeeping every year, filing of tax returns. So yeah, I mean, basically it's bookkeeping. 
a little bit of insurance. I mean, when it comes to garages, that's a different animal. I mean, then you, then you're writing actual CapEx, you know, elevators, uh, stairwells, you know, structural repair, concrete repair, especially if you're up north, there's a lot more that goes into garages than surface lots. So to keep it really easy, yeah, surface lots are, that's a, that's a brainless uh, enterprise for underwriting expenses. But when it comes to the garages, yeah, it, it's pretty in depth there. So there's a lot more structural things, obviously, to take care of on a, on a garage. Gotcha. And you said for the operators, some of that is part of their, like, the contract for them to take care of, but I would imagine on the garages, it might, is it more on you because it's a structure? Yes. Yeah, certainly it's more on us as a structure. Um, and again, those are very spelled out, you know, very, very detailed in the, in the contracts. Okay. Like you might take care they may take care of, you know, any restriping, any zapping the garage, but if the elevator breaks, it's on us to fix. So, I mean, that's, that's just kind of the way those go, but each contract's slightly different. On the surface lots, again, we build all the resurfacing and restriping into our contracts with the operators. So they're going to handle that. And again, if you're in the South, it's uh, or in Las Vegas, I mean, what, every decade, maybe? Yeah. They need to put a, put a little asphalt and some paint down. Okay, not a big deal. Yeah. So how are you... Now, you're, you're not able, obviously able to do this on just any tract of land. There's got to be zoning there. Are you building a lot? Or are you just buying existing lots? Yeah, it's a great question. And the, the short answer is we only buy existing parking. There's there's just enough, there's enough of it, and there's no need to recreate the wheel or take on risk for developing new parking. And so, so yeah, the short answer is is that we're only buying existing assets. And even when it comes to building new garages and things like that, yeah, there's companies that specialize in that, but the cost to build especially new garages to the revenue they can produce just doesn't make sense. So a lot of times those are underwritten, of course, by municipalities that are willing to spend more than what the revenue will justify to put in a new parking garage. So yeah. a lot of those are city owned and city built now. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. So when you're looking for the garages or these surface lots, what what's your criteria for looking for something that you're going to purchase? Anything that makes money. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm serious. I mean, I mean, I say that tongue in cheek, but it's true. It really, the, the biggest thing that we look for is what's the demand. Like, why are people parking there? And that's going to determine how much money you're going to make. You might have an enormous service lot, say, or garage, but if there's no demand, it's not going to make any money. We bought this little teeny tiny lot last year in a city, and we just made a killing on it. I mean, made a killing. It was 19 spaces. And it just, I mean, the demand was off the charts because it was the only place to park next to a building that everybody needed to go into. And they were only there for an hour. Oh, wow. So you had this little tiny lot that turned over three, four, five times a day at 20 bucks a crack. And suddenly you're like, oh, wait, this thing's turning like $1,200 a day. Like, this is stupid. So it really, that's the question. What do we look for? We look for what the demand is. Yeah. And again, you know, why are people parking there? Gotcha. And how, how do you figure that demand? Yeah, you go several times a day. So when you find a lot you like, which we know basic areas we want to be in. So we've already got this kind of chartered out for, or, or not chartered, but charted out, if I can speak today, for most, most major cities. But once you've got that and you find the lot, then you're going to go, hey, you're going to go at 7 a.m. You might go at noon. You might go at 9, 9 p.m. It might be midnight. There's a, there's, a, there's a lot here. I live in Memphis, um, just for your listeners, but there's a lot here in Memphis empty during the week. 
I mean, not a soul parks there Monday morning through Friday afternoon, not a soul parks there, but come like 6 PM Friday, that thing is just jammed full all the way until Sunday night. Of course, tried to buy it from the guy. Uh, it never worked out, but, but I know what he was making <laughs> off of it. And you're just like, that's insane. But if you hadn't, if I hadn't been down there, it's right off of Beale street here in Memphis, but I hadn't been down there at 9 PM on Friday night and been like, all right, this is something we're really interested in. I just wouldn't have known. So it's, it's kind of just, it's that it's going at various times. It's, it's locating the business around it. It's looking at what the tenant mix is. It's okay. There's an enormous federal building next door to it. Who's in this building? Why are people going there? So that's um, just, and, and yeah, there's nothing really scientific about it. It's not like multifamily or something where you can say, okay, job growth or this or that. I mean, if it's actually a courthouse, you're, it's pretty well, your, your demand's pretty consistent. So those are things we look for. That makes sense. Gotcha. And are you, who, who owns them? Who's selling them? How are you finding, what's your deal flow look like? It's a very fractured market, which is good. Deal flow right now is honestly very tough. So when we get, when we get something on the line, it's, it's, uh, it's good for us to, to press forward. You know, right now everybody's waiting for redevelopment of whatever it is they own, even garages. They say, Oh, we're going to tear this down and put a tallest building in the world on it. You're like, okay, well, maybe, maybe not. So how are we finding them? You actually have to go to the cities, walk the lots. We do it. We actually do it on foot most of the time because there's no, there's no database for it. These aren't because it's a fractured market. There's just not. There's no central database you can get online and say, oh, hey, what's the parking lots look like here? Even if you go to like, there's you know, websites like parking.com or parkme.com, I think is one of them. They'll theoretically list all the available paid parking in a city. It's wildly inaccurate. Like I've taken that compared to like, oh, this is a $2 a day lot. And you get there, you're like, it's not $2. This belongs to a office. But you can't pay to park here. Mm-hmm. I don't know where that, that data actually comes from, to be honest with you, because early on, we really tried to utilize that to speed up the acquisition process and end up just bogging us down with lots of useless information. So for us, we go to the city, we walk the streets, we mark off the assets we want, and then we go back and research it, find out who owns it, and just start calling, dialing for dollars. So that's, yeah. um, that's kind of how we do it. Gotcha. How often are you making these trips? Uh, not very often. Once you, you can go out, like I, I took two or three trips last year. You can hit five, six, seven cities in a row. So you get on the road and you hit five, six, seven cities. You're gone for eight days and you come back and that's enough information for you to, I mean, I spent the rest of the year cold calling and databasing off of that trip. So there's not a lot of time on the road. Yeah. Are you able to use like Google earth at all to do a little bit of research? I mean, I- Sort of. Again, you're not going to know from Google Earth or Google Maps when you look at it from the sky. Everything looks like parking. Yeah. It, you know, it's all asphalt. So you look at it like, well, I wonder. And you can do some homework. I use it still, even when I'm, you know, doing cold calling things like that. I use it to kind of look at the assets so I can at least remember it. You know, speak intelligently about it when we're talking to the owners. But you don't also know until you really get there and see it. And even Fort Worth is a city that, that I know pretty well. But I was just down there last week. And once I got back down, I'm like, oh man, like I was missing so much mm-hmm. that cause, cause you just couldn't tell. And there's little pockets that are developing and you get to see. So, so the short answer is no. I mean, you really just have to go and see it. Yeah. And there's just, there's just not a quick way around that. So what do you do if you're in, in parking? What do you do if your tenant stops paying? We don't know. Never been there. <laughs> I would I would have no idea. Let's uh let, let's never find out the answer to that. Yeah, let's, let's never worry about that. <laughs> right. Yeah. 
I mean, I'm sure there's legal recourses. I mean, let's just be honest. There's, you know, these are, these are contracts written by lawyers, but let's, let's not let them duke it out. Cause that's just a lot of bills on everybody's behalf. We don't need. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you're buying them, like, what do you, you're now, you're doing this with investors, correct? Yes. Correct. So you're, you're pulling together inv- the investors for the down payment. Yep. And then you're going out and finding the financing. Yep. And then are you, is the financing large enough that you're having to have like a key principal or are you able to, to sign? Are you, is the financing non-recourse commercial? I mean, you, you said that there's not a whole lot of banks that will do this there. So we, yes, the short answer depends on how much we want to put down. Obviously we could juice the returns by leveraging it as much as we possibly can. And that's, that's both good and bad. That's a, that's a sword that cuts both ways. Depending on what we're buying, you know, depends on how much we want to put down. If it's a really, if it's an asset that's not thrown off a lot of cash, but has huge potential in the future, it really just kind of depends on, on, you know, cause you, you can obviously leverage something to a point and, and really get great cash on cash returns. And also if the thing isn't spitting out much money at all, it might be better to not leverage it up as much because then you're just not paying that money in interest. So Yes. I, I guess the short answer is we can typically get 80% financing on those between John and myself. We typically don't need other key principles involved in order to get the financing for it. Was that all the questions that I answer everything? I so, I yeah. Wandering all over the place. Yeah. Sorry. I threw, I threw, threw a lot at you. So when you, how many investors are you typically bringing in on to a deal? Let's say depends on the size of it. I mean, Depends on the size of it. You know, a garage is going to be anywhere from a, you know, eight to $10 million purchase. So you're going to need a couple million bucks. If everybody's throwing out a grand, you're going to need 20 investors on that if you're doing an 80% finance. But, you know, on something smaller, I mean, a lot of, a lot of these surface lots are going to trade anywhere from one and a half to, you know, four and a half million dollars. So on those, let me do the math there real quick. What are you going to need? 800 grand on that. So maybe eight to 10 investors. Yeah. Just kind of depends on on the size of the deal and what, 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 what minimums we're using right now, we're working off typically 50, but if you get into a bigger deal, that, that number needs to go up just to keep the confusion down. Yeah. And then are you, is it open to accredited investors only sophisticated? It is sophisticated and accredited, of course. So we're doing all 506. I think that'd be, if I'm not mistaken, I always get those two confused, yeah, me too. but, but uh, yeah, it's 506 B is the uh, what we're raising money under right now and it's a per asset raise it's probably going to be one of your next questions so we don't do a pool or we don't do a fund or anything like that it's every investment is its own llc that owns it gotcha and without getting into specific returns on an asset what are you you know what are the kinds of returns that you target Right. And, and parking is a, is a really, and I always, I always feel like I have to qualify that this, this question, but I guess in the light of this week's events and some other things, it feels a lot better maybe than what it did before compared to multifamily or other asset classes, which are really typically return dependent upon a value add strategy or some monster like rehab process or a five-year plan or whatever. Ours is certainly in the more risk-free category. I mean, we know five to seven years out from, I mean, we're making money from the day we buy the asset. So we say, okay, we closed day one. We're receiving an income on not, I mean, in theory, we get, we actually wait 30 days, but whatever. You understand what I'm saying? They're, they're paying us back. So from the, from the first day, we know exactly where our, our returns are going to be with that kind of security of, of uh, income. You obviously are going to get a reduced return. 
you're not going to make a 20% IRR uh, or a 15% cash on cash return on a parking lot. Maybe you could, and it can happen, but it's certainly not the norm. So the long answer to your question is we typically shoot for a 6 to 8% return. And if, if, that, if we can meet a 6% cash on cash return and maybe have a decent upside on sale, which obviously would take your IRR up quite a bit, then that's great. But uh, again, our long-term plan is not to buy to sell. So our turn, our plan is, you know, buy it if we can increase revenues, which we typically can. There are still value add strategies. They're just they take on a very different look. But if we can increase the income on it, that we can cash out or, or, or do a refinance in three to five years, give our investors money back, we have no reason to sell it. We have long term debt in place, and everybody's getting paid every month. Don't 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 shoot the milk cow. Like let's let's hold this forever. So that that's kind of what our strategy is to buy and hold and not un, unlike again some other you know real estate classes there's just no reason to get rid of what we own especially especially if it's easy to manage and that's that's one of the biggest things that we love about parking is it's just like my phone literally just won't ring mm-hmm. like yeah. again what's going to what what can really go wrong we 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 call it the what was it we said the other day it's something like what's going to happen a comet's going to hit it like okay it's a surplus parking lot like okay <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is what we prefer really just because of the management ease. Gotcha. So I know I've wandered all the place again on returns. Oh. You asked one question, you got 40 answers. No, it's but. all, it's all good. How are you as the sponsor? Cause you're a syndication sponsor. Are you, are you paid uh, an acquisition fee? Are you paid a, a asset management fee? Things like that? Yes. It's, I mean, that's of course, that's pretty standard. You know, there's going to be an acquisition fee. And, you know, th- th- those are all, again, deal dependent. If if we're buying something that maybe, again, has a much lower return just because we see value for holding it rather than for collecting the cash on it, you know, obviously, we're going we're to turn down those acquisition fees quite a bit. It's, it, the deal just has to make sense for everybody. So, yeah, we're doing everything we can to, to, to really justify, obviously, what we bring to the table. But at the same time, you know, we want everybody to make money in the deal. So if that's not happening, there's no reason to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Well, let's dig in a little bit into our sort of four values that we talk about. When you, when you got started off, when you decided, Hey, I'm going to go into, I'm going to start buying parking lots. Right. Uh, how, a, how did you go about getting yourself educated and what was the really key piece of knowledge that you needed to get started? Both uh, are the same answer, which is just find the right partner. So when I met John, he, he really brings the industry contacts and the in-depth knowledge to the table. I bring some other things, finance rate or capital raising and deal acquisition, things like that to the table. Not that he didn't have those before, but I bring some other, especially on the, on the capital raise side, I bring some things to the table he didn't have. So, you know, for me, leaning on him, hey, John, here's an asset. What's it worth? Oh, okay. I mean, I wouldn't have known you. I, 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 there's no book on it. So it's, you know, unlike, again, you know, not to again, keep comparing to multifamily, but you know, there's lots of things you can read about that. There really isn't a book on parking like, Oh, well, I don't know. So you got to find the guy that knows a lot about it and really just, just, you know, stick to his side. That's exactly what I've done. Yeah. Now you met John, uh, there at the bigger pockets. Uh, I'm sorry, not bigger pockets, uh, best ever conference two years ago in 2018 that's correct was he one of the speakers he was okay was he the one that talked about he started off uh with a parking lot across the street from the notre dame stadium 
That's your exact good memory. Yeah, it's exactly right. I remember his story. I remember it being a really good story and being like, oh, yeah, yeah, God. absolutely. Being like, oh, yep. parking garages. Right. <laughs> <laughs> <Pearl. Pearl. laughs> right. It's exactly right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so for you, what does a day in the life of a, of a parking lot investor look like? Yeah. I mean, for us, and again, just going back to what I said earlier, like acquisitions right now are it's, it's a challenging space to be in. So deal flow is tough. So when we get a good deal under contract, it's something we got to move on. We got to move on fast. But most of my days are spent. And in this, and this is not my favorite place to be. So as I've transitioned out of single family where we had decent, even though I complained about contract, or decent systems and probably allowed a little bit more freedom right now, since we're still really heavy in the building phase, I spend a lot of time on the phone, spend a lot of time researching, spend a lot of time just trying to find owners. I mean, this is, it's, it's just, again, a fragmented space and you might have trusts and I mean, gosh, we're dealing with a, a purchase right now that has 16 heirs. So, <laughs> you know, it just takes time as you dig through who is the trustee. I don't know. Like, and I'm good at stuff like that, but it's not like I'd much rather work on an Excel sheet. Like I, I love numbers and I'm kind of a geek. So yeah, but a lot of my time is spent just cold calling, databasing, figuring out where assets are and trying to get them under contract, getting offers out to people. I mean, our our close rate to offer ratio is is directly correlated, obviously, to the number of cold calls and things like that that we make. So that's that's basically the life of of a of a parking <laughs> lot syndicator right now. And then once we get under contract, then it's calling all of our investors and saying, "Hey guys, get on." Get in board, pile your money in. This is where it goes. Getting the deal, to, you know, packaged up with the banks and with the. I think John handles all the banking side of it, and then I deal with all the fine or all the uh, investors and lawyers and everybody else getting the, the contracts drawn up. So that's so um, kind of like a full time job. One hundred percent for me right now. It absolutely is. It is. Yeah, right now it's one hundred percent full time job. Just because again, we're you know, for me, I'm launching something new. And it just takes, it takes a little time to get it off the ground. So, I mean, I spent all of 2019 in parking. I mean, we made money in 2019, but it certainly was not the same amount of money I was making previously in single family housing. We made a lot more money in 2018 than I did in 2019. But that again, it's a, it's a new startup for me and, and bringing more assets to the table just takes time and figuring the industry out. So that's cost of getting going. So what would you see as your, would you say your most high value task is just finding owners and, and negotiating with them? Right now? Yes. Right. Right. And if we can, if we can grow this to a point where I can obviously plug somebody else in, in that role, I'd love that. I'd love that, but that's not where we are right now. So yeah, that's absolutely one of the highest value tasks just because deals are hard to come by. Yeah. So without deal flow, we got nothing else to do. Yeah. Yeah. So right now you're kind of in the, phase where you're building systems and, and figuring it all yourself. And then eventually, hopefully you'll offload some of those things onto another person. Well, and again, also like you could, we, once, once the deal is, is closed, like for a lot of people, the, the work has just begun once they buy the asset for us, once the assets acquired and we own it, the work's basically over. I mean, it's from that point forward, there's an ACH into our account once a month. Uh, and again, like I said, a little bit of bookkeeping. So it's like, well, yeah, the long-term goal is obviously to acquire as much of that as we can yeah. and and then stop doing this. Like, I don't need to be, I don't need to be a billionaire to quit doing what I'm doing yeah. and, uh, you know, bow out of the full-time 
uh, real estate investor role. So that's kind of that. That's my long term five to seven year plan is to really develop enough passive income where I can just do whatever I want, whenever I want, and not really worry about where the money's coming from. Yeah. When you buy these assets, are the operators already sort of in place most of the time? So like you just yes. stay with I mean, these, whoever's renting it, kind of just continues to rent it at a, with a new contract with you guys? So you're asking a couple questions there. You probably don't even know it. But the <laughs> operator, most of what we do is daily parking. So there's not like, yeah, you can have some monthly contracts, but those are not your, those are not your money makers. Those are, those are space fillers in case, you know, just if a lot's not full for some other reason, there's a business around there that needs monthly parking spaces. So the operator is dealing obviously with everybody else that comes in on a daily basis, making sure things, you know, people aren't parking there illegally, that they're actually paying, that they're dealing with the tow truck drivers and everybody else and booting cars. Did I, did I answer your question or did I wander off track again? I have a tendency to do that. <laughs> That's okay. The The operator is already sort of in place when, when you purchase it. You continue using the same person? No, 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 no. Not typically. Okay. Yeah, a lot of times we'll replace that operator. Or if it is one of the national operators, we'll renegotiate leases with them. So a lot of people just don't know who they're dealing with. Or, or, or what they're dealing with when it comes to parking. So they don't, you know, they're, they've, well, this guy, you know, they've always taken care of our family for the last 15 or 20 years or 50 years that we've owned this lot and they're our best friend. You're like, no, not really. Your lease sucks. Yeah. Like you guys are getting had. So we'll go in and, and replace them. And yes, but when the day that we buy the asset, we, we've already got leases inked with the new operators. Okay. So they're, they're going in right away if it's a new operator or the terms have all been renegotiated prior to close. Makes sense. Gotcha. So, you know, you're investing all over the country, correct? Correct. Uh, Mostly central U.S. though. I mean, we say all over the country, we stay off the coast. I mean, if you just basically went from Colorado East all the way to the Carolinas, and then kind of once you started getting into Richmond and places like that, just kind of, you know, stop going further Northeast. We don't head up there really. Not, you're not trying to buy New York City? No, you, know, you, you, you can't make it work from a tax perspective and you can't make it work from a square foot land perspective. There are parking operators up there, but that land's just not trading typically at a price that makes any sense at all. It's a whole nother world. Correct. Yeah. So how often do you, you know, once you've acquired these assets, how often do you go out and going out to check on them and make sure they haven't burned down or anything like that? Never. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's the short answer is never. No. I mean, again, you know, if there's a problem, somebody's going to tell us. Like, otherwise, there's no reason to. That's, yeah. No, no motivation or incentive to even do so. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Once you sort of get to, I mean, I kind of know the answer here, but we'll ask it anyway. Once sure. you get to where you're not doing this building phase and you kind of settle into where you feel like you've got enough of this income coming in that you don't need to, to be so active. Do you feel like you could go somewhere else for a while and not have to really worry about anything? (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. My wife and I are are both big travelers. So I'd love to really get on the road and we've done that quite a bit. She's lived kind of all over the world before we got married and I've done a ton of traveling. So yeah, we could, we really just with the the ease of management again of these assets. It's once we own them, then I could go off grid for a long time, and it and it just wouldn't matter. It wouldn't matter to me as long as our investors were getting their you know direct deposits every month. 
which you can get internet connection on a phone, which we can do that now, even with this business, I could, I could live and work from anywhere. Prefer to stay in the United States just simply from an ease of time zone perspective. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, I mean, this is, this is a business that is once, once we know where the assets are and what we're looking for, I could, I can buy and sell this from, from anywhere in the world. So you mentioned, you know, we talked briefly about investing in other passive assets. You know, you, are you all in on parking garages? Are you diversifying in any way in, you know, investing in other people's syndications, things like that? Yes, that's the short answer, but only with retirement money because we have IRA funds and things like that. But if, if, um, any of your listeners don't know this, you can't take your own IRA funds and of course, and invest in your own deals. So we've got money that we're going, okay, where do I put this? That makes sense. And that's of course going to be in other syndications and other guys I know. So yeah, we've got money in self-storage in RV park in a, some multifamily, some hard money loans and, and single family stuff. So there's, there's, yeah, it's, it's definitely spread across the board not with much, and I hate to say it, without any real intention. It just kind of what happened to wander by in front of me that I liked. And I said, well, sure, that, that that makes sense. I like you. You seem like you know what you're doing. And so far, that's worked out pretty well with just picking the picking the, the right horse in the race and not really um, worrying too much more about it. So that's um, that's kind of been the strategy there. Yeah, most of the I, – I always recommend – the people that I talk to, you know, are like, wow, I'm a, I'm a full-time house flipper. That's all I do. Or I'm only, I only buy single family homes and things like that. I'm always like, mm, you know, I would recommend you try and like, cause you don't want to be doing this forever. It's not, as, mm-hmm. it, obviously it's not as passive as you might think. And, you know, right. funneling some of that money into multifamily and self-storage and RV parks and parking lots, uh, right. you know, diversify. Correct. Somebody else do the work and then you can stop worrying about it. Oh, and, and, and I'll tell you, just just being a passive investor has actually been a lot of fun. Like if, if I had just, you know, uh, uh, an enormous sum of, sum of money to work with, then that's all I would do would be, be a passive investor. Even if it's not an enormous sum, like just passive investing, if you pick the right investments, and, or actually not even the right investments. I think picking the right people is more important than the right investment, but you pick the right people and the right investment. Of course, it, it's just, it's great seeing the checks come in every month. You're like, wow, what did, what did something happen the other day uh, on the RV park? What happened there? Oh, three RVs burned. Right. And they, you know, which is sad for the people there. Luckily no one died, but you know, they sent out emails saying, Hey, look, we had a fire at the RV, some boiler or something malfunctioned in one of the RVs and they caught two of the RVs on fire. I'm like, yep. And I'm still going to get paid at the end of the month. And the only thing I had to do is read that email and then hit delete and say, sorry guys, best of luck. Yeah. Like <laughs> it's so I would, yeah. Being a passive investor in other assets is really nice. Actually. What do you believe is the most important skill that a new investor might need to have? Man, education, I would say is, and I don't mean that go out to sign up for guru courses because I'm not a fan of those, but yeah, I mean, just learning as much as you can from as, I mean, there's so much free, there's so many free resources. I mean, on the internet on, yeah, you, you could, you could learn until you, you're blue in the face, but I would say first off, just really understanding going to conferences uh, that's where I really cut my teeth was just going and talking to people, meeting guys like Neil and you and, and just going and learning as much as you can before you 
maybe not before, but yeah, I would, I would say educate yourself as, as much as you can. And then also just go and do like, don't be afraid to make mistakes. Like I said earlier, I've, I've, I've can write a book on how to lose money in real estate, but that's, that's probably going to happen. I mean, to anyone who gets in it and goes hard and goes full time. And especially when they, when they start to scale at volume, at some point you're going to go, Oh crud, I did that wrong. Oops. And not being afraid of that. I know lots of guys right now who are, I mean, walking around their tippy toes, trying to be, you know, afraid of like making a mistake. And they're just, I mean, they've been doing that for years. Like, come on, fellas, like get on with it. You, you, you got to move forward. And so, you know, they've had the same income goals, which is fine, but they're not very high. And I'm like, man, you, you really should be hitting that by now. That was four years ago. You set that goal and you're still standing around your thumb wondering what to do. So learn and then do, I would say those are the two things that, <laughs> that I would recommend. Yeah. It's, uh, it's something I struggle with myself and I see it in other people all the time. And I think a lot of it, I always say has to do with people, people get in and they, they sort of see all the money people are making in real estate. And then they go, Ooh, I want that right now. Right. And they're going for, they're going for here. Right. And they should be trying, like trying to hit that home run or even a triple. Right. And they should be, and they're not even bad in practice. They're not even doing batting practice. Correct. Uh, they're not even trying to hit that single. And, and it's really so much of the fear and the, and the unknown that, that stops people from moving forward. Um, right. It's a lot easier to manage when it's a $100,000 asset than when it's a $10 million asset. Correct. Oh, for sure. For sure. And yeah, and you want to have your ducks in a row when you start playing in the big leagues. That's, um, that, that's for certain, but you're, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. If you could hit a magic reset button, could you, you know, this question? <laughs> <laughs> Good. I'm excited about it. Let's see. If it. you could start all over from knowing everything, you know, now, is there anything that you'd do differently? Hmm. I would probably one transition to commercial sooner than later. It's, it's, I think it's more scalable. And also there's just, I mean, obviously there's lots of people in commercial space. Don't get me wrong. I mean, everybody's in commercial as well, but the lowest barrier to entry is just kind of obviously single family residential space. And you can waste an inordinate amount of time there. And I did. And again, we made good money at it, but I wasted a lot of time, which I can't get back. So I would, I would one go bigger and I would find the find teammates sooner. Those are the two things I would do is probably find guys that, that again, you know, meeting up with John, that's, that was huge, but find your, find, find your teammates sooner that are already doing things and see whatever, do whatever you can do to, to add value to them and just, just, just grab hold, do it. And that's why I told John, I said, dude, I'll do whatever you want. doesn't matter. Just tell, tell me where to go and what to do. And how, how can I bring any value to you whatsoever? I don't care. Yeah. Like I didn't, I didn't need anything for, I need a paycheck. I didn't need a dollar. I just need let me work beside you, please. Yeah. And that's just kind of the way, yeah, I would, I would have started that back in last, I got real estate in 2013. So I started that in 2013, but you know, we don't get that option. So yeah. No. yeah. I take my, I take back my words. I was fine. <laughs> Most people are like, all of the things I did brought me to where I am today. So I don't have any regrets. Yeah. And so oh. gonna, it's, I mean, and I'm sure that's the case for everybody. It just, it sort of makes for like a boring Oh, no, I've got lots of regrets. I, I, can, I can share your book on those too. <laughs> well, and what you, what you just said reminds me uh, that on a previous podcast, we interviewed Ashley Kerr and one of her, one of her best answers was she talked about when someone's starting out in real estate, find out what it is that you 
have that somebody else doesn't have and mm, bring okay. that to them. And, you know, if you think about it very often, it's time, money, or experience. Like those are the, the typically the three things in real estate. So if you're young and you've got lots of time, but you've got no experience and no money, then find a way to bring your time to somebody who's got experience and money uh, right. and help them. If you've got no time and no experience, but you've got money, then find a way to bring that money to somebody who's got time and experience. And, and same thing with, uh, if you've got experience and time, but you've got no money, then go out and find people who've got money. Right. hundred percent. Absolutely. I love that. All right, Sam, thank you so much for sharing with us today. Besides, so people can find you at parkinginvestments.com. Yep. Parking your investments, parking your investments.com. If any of our listeners want to reach out to you, what's the best way to do that? You can email me, Sam at parkingyourinvestments.com. You can call me directly, which is 901-310-5496. I'd say that those are the two best ways to get me. You'll get one of those two ways. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Right. It was great having you. Yep. Hey, thank you so much. I do appreciate it. It was awesome. Thank you, guys. Okay. So we're here with uh, Sam Harris from parkingyourinvestments.com. We just finished interviewing him about uh, investing in parking structures and parking lots. But of course, we're interviewing him basically uh, on, I'll call it Armageddon week. I don't know. I don't know what <laughs> it, it feels like it. Uh, it is March 14th. Yeah. 2020. <laughs> and, and it feels like the world has sort of come come to an end this week. March Madness got canceled, which is, wow, really kills me. Crazy. Yes, all the things. So we're in the middle of the coronavirus outbreak pandemic, and we're starting to really see the effects of it here in the United States. And so we thought we would have just like a small conversation about how that is uh, affecting you and or how you might think it might affect you and anything you might be doing to sort of handle that, I guess. Sure, sure. Neil, my last name's Wilson. Let's just start there. Did I keep, I keep calling you, you Sam call, Harris? You've called me Sam Harris for what, four years now. <laughs> so it's all right. It's, it's you know, right. a very famous guy I follow named Sam Harris. <laughs> no, no, so, it's, it's all good. Keep keep this in there. I love it. I love it. So just, um, just, I'm so just going to start off, calling you Harris. <laughs> That's great. You know, uh, no, no, I apologize. All, I apologize. No, no, it's great. It's great because I always know it's, <laughs> it's you. It's, that brain cell is just like refuses to die. I'm going to get some cryptic message from, you know, it's going to say, Dear Harris. I'm like, oh, this is Neil. It's going to have nothing else on it. (laughs) Your nickname. So, yeah. So what am I doing to prepare? One, my wife and I are um, kind of not, we're not preppers by any stretch, but certainly I've always had a standing rule in my house that if it's something that doesn't expire, we should never run out of it. So again, this goes to like everything from medicine to toilet paper to toothpaste. I mean, there's nothing more annoying than like 10 o'clock at night. You're going to bed and like, crud, we're out of toothpaste. Like, how does that happen? There should be like 50 tubes of toothpaste in the closet. Because <laughs> by the time you get down to number 10, you're like, oh, we're getting close. Better go buy 40 more. So, I mean, literally, we've, we've not had to do a lot of prepping in that regard. So we're not causing the toilet paper run. Not you then. <laughs> it's you. not me. Right, right. It's not me. You know, in short... You know, we own we own another business here in Memphis uh, that is a public business, and there are a lot of people in there. And we're just doing the basics. I mean, obviously, we're hoarding bleach because we've already got it. It's a laundromat, 
uh, we're stopped selling bleach, you know, cause people are coming in now like, Hey, you guys got bleach. Can you sell me? No, like we can't find any more. Yeah. So this is our disinfectant. We're not even doing it when people come in and drop off all their clothing. Like we're like, no, we're not, no, no more bleach on your white. So sorry. But so things like that, you know, get employees to clean stuff better, to bleach down all control surfaces, you know, just be smart personally. Like we're kind of backing off any social gatherings, you know, sorry, I'm not going to church on Sunday. Love you all lots, but I won't be there. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll love you from a distance. Yeah. Uh, you know, just being smart. I'm not, I'm not panicking. You know, we, it's just my wife and I, so we've, we've got, I mean, just inherently have enough food probably for three to four months anyway. Um, that's just and what's always your address. No, <laughs> <laughs> come over seriously. You'll get tired of it. Cause it's, it's all just like, <laughs> you can only eat so many potatoes and, and canned soups, but whatever, you know, so us, we're not panicking, uh, but at the same time, not being, not being dumb. Yeah. yeah. Like investing wise, like I, I know you're not an economist, you know, you're probably sure. in the same boat as all of us. Is there anything that you see yourself doing differently over the next let's say 12 months. So maybe eight, 10 years ago, I exited the stock market entirely. So I'm sorry. Good timing. Well, sort of. I mean, maybe I should have exited what was February 12th. I should have been investing for the last 10 years. And then, which, you know, in short, so that, so that's one of the things. And, and I know a lot of people who are probably like me that just, you know, have given up on what I call the world's largest casino. So that, you know, what are we doing? Really, I'm waiting for us on the investment side, just waiting for kind of some of these prices to make more sense on the buy side. I mean, that's the short of it. So probably not being as aggressive on offers when you just see such volatility going, all right, if this, if this craziness just continues, then eventually real estate prices are going to, something's got to even out somewhere. I'm not sure what that is. So, you know, stuff that maybe a month ago looked more attractive now is like, I don't know about that. Maybe, maybe for us, we'll hold off on that offer and, and just kind of see where this shakes out. So kind of, kind of pumping the brakes a bit, which is probably not what the economists want us to do. They want us to just flood the market with more investments, but for us, it just has to make sense. So I think, I think right now just kind of slow. And even though it's already, you know, tougher for us to acquire stuff, it, it's still just not being as aggressive as maybe we would have been before. All right. Well, I think that's all, that's all we can do. I mean, all <laughs> right. So keep an eye on the, I, I, I would say right now, keep an eye on the jobless claims right now and whatever markets you're investing in, that's, uh, you know, start, start looking for what's happening there. Cause like once people start losing jobs, that's when, that's when real estate starts to get impacted. So. Oh, that's for sure. That's for sure. That's a, that's a good call. Yeah. If you can keep your eye on the job reports, that's, that's probably clutch. All right. Well, Sam Wilson, stay safe. Stay safe. <laughs> give her, Thank give you, Brittany. Give her best to Elizabeth. I'll do it. Thanks, Neil. Good to see you guys. Have a great you day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay. That was Sam Wilson from parkingyourinvestments.com. Uh, we, we always like talking to Sam. So what was the key lesson learned for you? I think, you know, the the partnership thing was something that he really touched on in multiple places during the interview. And, you know, I think we've talked about this before and it really is important to find other people to learn from or partner with or, you know, whatever that looks like a mentor or a partner. It's that education piece and the easiest way to get educated with, with less risk 
is to to join with someone who's already doing what you want to do or when you're starting out rather than spend a bunch of money on on a guru class and and we're, I'm not opposed to that either I I have some paid mentorships find somebody take what it is that you have and offer it for free to someone else who is lacking what it is that you have whether it's time whether it's money and I don't mean I don't mean offer your money for free. Yeah, I was going to say we yeah. probably, you don't probably need to do no, that. You can money. you can yeah. have a contract to make a little yeah, money on yeah, that yeah. on that money. Uh, anyway, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. Find find somebody to partner with sooner than later. Yes. All right. Uh, Knowledge. So, I think this is kind of the same answer. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> find someone who's already doing it because there are no books about parking. Yes, I mean in, in Sam's case there is no there's nowhere to learn. I don't think there's any parking structure investing gurus. There's no books. Yeah. Uh, he really just had to find somebody who had experience doing it and then, and learn from him. Yeah. So. Kind of learn as you go as yeah. well. I'm sure. How much money did it take him to get started? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I zoned out during that time or you were talking we, about we things that we were over get, money. We did, yeah. We didn't get into specifics about with parking structures. What? Well, he said like he gave some like ranges of such and such to 4 million or, you know, somewhere yeah. in there. And then sometimes, so he was saying like 800,000 down was, was um, an example. So yeah. he's, I don't know how much of his own money, but if he's looking for investments, investors to pool together about $800,000 or something yeah. along those lines, 20%, it sounded like. Yeah. I mean, with syndication, it's always kind of a, a strange question because a lot of times you're not, it's other people's money. And uh, it's mainly a matter of finding the deal and closing the deal and then managing it and then bringing the investors in, things like that. How much time does he spend on his endeavors now? Well, right now it is a full-time job. Um, He's in the building phase. So, you know, for, and I think this is the case for a lot of real estate stuff. When, When you're in the beginning, even if you're not actively doing real estate stuff, you're probably learning, you're probably researching, you're doing these things, you're going to spend a lot more time on the front end. And then once you have systems in place or, you know, you, you've built up where you're not having to actively invest quite as much, then your time starts to uh, lessen. But yeah, right now he's really in the just it's his job. Yeah. And, it's, <laughs> and it really comes down to, for him, it's just, it's deal flow and investor flow. Yeah. So it's, that's a full-time job in itself. Yeah. And how location independent is this? Very. Yes. As, 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 yes. as we joked. With the exception of going to find the places like walking cities, even the finding seller or uh, yeah, finding sellers slash owners and, research and all that kind of stuff theoretically he can do anywhere obviously if you're call, calling people he doesn't want to go to like a completely different time zone but which is cool there's there's not a lot of ones that you can do all of that you know there's there's some different yeah. strategies but it's kind of interesting it's an interesting strategy yep or it's uh how independent it is on different okay. pieces all right. all right once again that was yeah. sam wilson from parkingyourinvestments.com. Go check him out if you have an interest in investing uh, in parking. I highly, uh, highly recommend that uh, at this point, uh, you know, we find ways to diversify as best we can. And parking structure is uh, a yep. very much a different investment. So. Awesome. All right. Let's hit the road. Bye. 
And if you like this podcast, we would really appreciate it if you take just a few minutes and leave a review for us on iTunes. It's really simple to do. Just go to roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash review for links and instructions. Thanks for listening. We're doing this all again next week. Until then, safe travels.